You're listening to Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Bob Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Okay, our next guest. Join us for the first time on 21st Century Radio over 20 years ago. 20 years ago. I was 46 and she was 18 at that time. And I think she was a little older than that, but I'm not sure. In 1989, Phyllis Gowdy was the first person we talked to about crystal skulls. And the first person we talked to also, well, actually, we talked to her repeatedly uh, about all kinds of other things in her research and her publishing company, Gowdy Press. And most recently, uh, under the hat that she wears as editor-in-chief of Fate magazine, publishing since 1948. 48. Fate Magazine has 21st Century Radio beat by 40 years. Well, that's a slaughter. We just got slaughtered. <laughs> What's that? 88 to 88 to 40 or something like that. Well, that's, that's the way it goes, friends. We're not the best football team in the world. We knew that. We never said we were a great football team. Well, all right. Now, but... <laughs> I better calm down here. I get pretty excited. You know, she's joining us tonight to talk about their most recent issue and to describe the exciting new expansion of their website, FateMag.com. F-A-T-E-Mag.com. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio. Phyllis Gowdy. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Were you just 18 years old when we talked to you over 20 years? Fairly, fairly 18. What hell's lying? Oh, yes. Well, let's start with a look at your exciting new website at FateMag.com. I understand your readers are asking for more attention to the e-issues. With That is correct, yes. We're, we're starting to go green and uh, supporting our environment, so we definitely have green subscriptions on our FateMag.com shopping cart. You got a nice shopping cart there? It's pretty easy to use. Yeah, it's, it's nice thing. to have a good shopping cart. Tell us what our listeners will find on FateMag.com website right now. Anything you want. Anything we want. Yay! This information. We have some fabulous bloggers right mm-hmm. now that we're really excited about, uh, about ghosts and about metaphysical, spiritual information, UFO, abduction, ghost, uh, you know, alien hunter. and. Oh, yes, indeed. Now, recent postings include... Miracles Revisited, Apparitions and Bilocation. What is he talking about here? Well, truth to tell, I don't know if I've read that, but he is is a major uh, ghost hunter down in Texas and a very, very spiritual, very knowledgeable, uh, mature look at all these paranormal things. So what he says you can can definitely take to the bank. Well, a look at ghost integrity. The, the, the ghosts lack integrity, or do we lack integrity looking at ghosts? Or, or what is he saying here? All of the above, I think. All of the be- above? Well, okay, I can understand that. I mean, they turn on TV. There are certain television stations today that that's all they do is right. look at ghosts here. And, and uh, just, um, But I always feel every now and then that I, I, ha- I, don't, I can't help but be a little bit skeptical about what they do. But, you know, that's the Oh, yeah. It's yeah. ridiculous. It's, it's totally insane now. Yeah, it's a little bit hyped. Uh, just a little bit. Now, strange experiences. You do Phyllis's strange experiences, and you posted one on Haunted House. Okay. Well, I grew up in a Haunted House. You did? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So I, that's uh, part of my world is... Well, who... Could, did you, 
Did you find out who it was and what they were doing there? And Yes, yes. I believe uh, it was my grandfather that was, was the primary haunter. I thought there was a ghost that was trying to kill me or hurt me when I was a small child. I slept in the small bedroom off the living room, and every night I would see this image standing in my in the doorway there, and it scared the crap out of me. But then when I grew up, I found out that my grandfather actually died in that room. Oh, he lay dying in there. So it it was, and I think there was a vortex there actually because a lot of other people had experiences there. So it, it was just just one of those. Um, Strange, strange portals where where it was easy for for otherworldly beings to manifest. Well, I so thoroughly enjoyed your latest print digest, however, that uh, I really want to dig into some of those articles, if you don't mind. The first sure. one that caught my eye was, Who Was Shakespeare? Now, this is an of extremely important, an extremely important topic that in the future, I think, I think... Uh, uh, what you're about to tell us is going to be vindicated in the next decade because I know that there are some TV stations and uh, networks that have been working on stories on on, uh, on William Shakespeare, and they found out that, just like you and I have found out, that, hey, what's going on here? Um, so who was Shakespeare? Well, I mean, <clears throat> I'm not sure I'm right, but I have my personal bias. It's, it's like I want to believe in Santa Claus, too, but... I like to think there really was a person named Will Shakespeare. But I, I know a lot of the evidence and the skeptics uh, point to the Earl of Oxford, but mm -hmm. some of those things were written after he died. Mm -hmm. So there's, I mean, there's holes in every single theory of who Shakespeare was. If it was a, a committee of people, it was a composite. Uh, it was one person. It was another person. It was, you know, Bacon. Mm -hmm. It was the Earl of Oxford. But there's really no definitive answer because there's so little. It's just like the man Jesus. Um, there's there's no pictures and there's no no real evidence. It's just a lot of it's hearsay. So it's it's difficult to to put a spin on it. So we asked our readers to do a little time travel and do kind of a remote viewing and go back and see if they could actually make contact with with the person who wrote those plays or persons plural did they get any good results well, we, we've got some interesting things that we will be publishing in forthcoming issues it takes people a while to kind of get their heads around that and, and we've gotten some very intelligent responses so it's just fun it just makes makes the, the web even uh, even more sticky. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, the, the things that disturbed me a great deal, because I was a big Shakespeare fan for a long time, uh, was how come we only have six signatures of his? How, mm -hmm. how, you know, I mean, and when you look at his will, he had nothing to write with. He had no paper. He had no books. Um, you know, genius can do an awful lot of things, but they they got to know another language to write another language. Mm -hmm. He didn't know any other languages. I mean, we don't have anything that proves that that, that uh, who we thought was uh, William Shakespeare or Shakespeare or whatever it was. Uh, we know so little about this individual, and that's one of the things that is going to be exposed. And, 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 and BBC, by the way, has already done, and we have a couple of the, their, at least one of their um, a store, one of their programs on it. And they literally do come down on the other side now of mm -hmm. uh, it being, it couldn't have been 
who we thought William Shakespeare was. They don't necessarily know who it was. We've we've done shows on uh, uh, De Vere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of his first name. Uh, Edward De Vere. Edward, good old brother Ed. And, yep. and um, that that was really thrilling. But then again, a good case can be made for several individuals. Um, I th- think it was a group of individuals that all contributed over a period of time. And I think uh, those who... who and another thing that really impressed me was my, my favorite writer of almost all times, Walt Whitman, Mark Twain, Henry James, Orson Welles, and many others, many, many others, uh, did not accept um, the, this, uh, what we know about William Shakespeare. So I think it's going to be really pretty exciting um, in the years to come, especially because when you when you have um, researchers uh, that are um, have spent four or five decades on this, finally getting to say what their research is, 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 has been indicating for for fifty or sixty years, but no one's paid any attention to it. I mean, you most you know if you ask most Americans today who wrote Shakespeare, they'll say Shakespeare did, right? Mm-hmm. I, wouldn't you think that? I mean, it's the same as asking who designed the American flag. You'll hear mm-hmm. Betsy Ross, and you'll always hear Betsy Ross, no matter no matter what. I'm a mo- I've been amazed at that for for the past forty some years. Uh, when, of course, it was Francis Hopkins. Anyway, I think I think we're going to find out that uh, this is quite a an important mystery. Right. Well, well, look at look at Walt Disney for heaven's sakes. Did he do all the work that was involved with the Disney, you know, Donald Duck, uh, Mickey Mouse, all those wonderful characters? No, of course not. He had many, many people who were drawing and, and helping to create those characters. Mm-hmm. He might have had the vision, but he didn't do a lot of the legwork, the, the groundwork. I mean, his his very talented helpers did, even though they didn't get credit. Yeah, even though they didn't get credit, yeah. And some necessarily didn't want credit because that could end your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially exactly. with the queen, the queen. <laughs> she, was, mm-hmm. she was the queen. I mean, you know, you're going to give her trouble. Well, you just well, you're going to be put in a dungeon, and that's off the end. Off to the tower. Yep, off if to the tower. If you were lucky, you went to the tower. Our guest, Phyllis Gowdy, editor in chief of Fate Magazine, reporting on the strange and unknown. We enjoy it. It's really a labor of love. Almost all the important things we do are usually labors of love. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it really is true. We just had a. Guest on uh, Dr. Tom Ballone and others. Oh, yes, yes. I you know, know these guys. He's these, a great guy, too. They are so dedicated mm-hmm. over a long period of time. Uh, it's just extraordinary to see these the quality of mind and the quality of dedication. Now, let's turn now to your story. I'm wondering uh, whether the Rolling Stones were black magicians. This is by Daniel J. Wood. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us about what uh, Daniel J. Wood is saying? Well, he's, he's a very um, intellectual person, and he's been a Stones fan for many, many years. And uh, he felt that they dabbled in in magic and occultism probably for uh, uh, just the, the persona, the public exposure, and uh, kind of got caught into some dark energy. And I'm I'm not sure if it was all... A front, or if they really, really did buy into the uh, the dark magic, and uh, they, they had this famous concert at Altamont, California, when they first got started, and they hired uh, Hell's Angels to be their security guard, and it it went bad. It went really bad. You know, there were 
I had a friend who was actually there who who witnessed it, and that you know I hadn't hadn't ever talked to anybody who had was really there. But yeah, he said it was it was really really uh, a dark and scary, almost like some kind of bad possession that came over the whole crowd. I know they were a little upset over the fact that they didn't go to you know they didn't weren't get involved with Woodstock there. Uh, and and that's one of the reasons why they really wanted to do Altamont as soon as possible. But the irony of the whole situation is Woodstock was uh, one of the, well, the pinnacle of a certain level, mm-hmm. uh, and they were just the opposite. Um, exactly. Yeah, Woodstock was pretty clean considering yeah. all that went on there. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, uh, I'm, I'm glad that this story is being brought out, mainly because they're – there are other possibilities here, uh, and especially uh, in one of the books that I had been researching a long time ago indicated that um, that Brian, gosh, why do I forget, Brian Jones, why, I don't know why else his name slipped my mind here, uh, I felt so badly for him, but it was learned in, 19, in late 1980s that uh, Brian Jones was murdered, he did not die in a swimming pool, uh, well, he did die in a swimming pool, but the individuals that held his head underwater wanted that him. Yeah, that, they, that certainly helps when you have someone's head held held under. And they were closely tied into the management of the Rolling Stones. So this, this, they weren't doing this. And, and what happened is that Brian Jones kept asking the same questions that Jimi Hendrix and many other musicians did. And is where's the money? Where, <laughs> what's going on here? I mean, you know. Uh, Jimmy would be running around with a dollar and a half in his pocket. You know, that didn't make it too much sense. But the, every one of these rockers found almost the same problem. The Beatles had the same kind of a problem. But, of mm-hmm. course, the, they, they dealt with it in a different, totally different way. So, so um, unfortunately, I, it, look, it appears definitely that Brian Jones was murdered. It, he had, uh, and those who murdered him felt that was sanctioned by the group whether that's altogether true or not that's something else but we do know he was indeed murdered by people that he worked for um now Uh, power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely i've heard that somewhere i've heard that somewhere uh and i think it must be something to it now the cather is that how you pronounce it Qatar. cathars cathars yes yeah, I really enjoyed reading like, about... Like catharsis is a cleansing. Cathar, well, the Cathar princess uh, who defied the Pope, written by Glenn Craney. Who was... Well, I can't pronounce this one. Uh, Escalaramonde de Foix. I had a previous French incarnation, but I still can't even read that one. Um, what What's the story here? Well, as, as you probably know from... Uh, um, Dan Brown's book brought this out, and I've been obsessed reading about Jesus and the Essenes lately and, and how we've been hoodwinked with our religious history because the church excised things that they didn't want us to know about, and they ruthlessly suppressed everybody else who didn't agree with them and, and tortured and killed, and uh, it just makes me ill to think about it. And the Cathars were really a beautiful, beautiful group of people. They were very pure and very clean, but they were heretical. They didn't accept what the what the Catholic Church said, so they were all put to death in a, in a hideous, hideous uh, kind of like the the Jewish people at Masada. They were they were just all burned and and um, tortured and killed uh, thousands of them. 
on on top of Monsegur, this this hilltop where they had their last stand. And this gentleman felt that he was, the author felt that he was kind of contacted by the spirit of one of the one of the leaders. And uh, how how did the princess defy the pope? What did she do to defy them? Well, they, um, I guess the 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 whole people. Um, <clears throat> They um, they were involved with the Grail, the Jewish Kabbalah, mysticism, well, that's, that's meditation, enough. architecture, and yeah. and um, you know the Catholic Church just didn't didn't want any anybody to have an independent uh, mystical uh, no, any strength on their own. They wanted them to only believe in the, the and, rules and the, of the church, and the doctrine of the church. That's true. And uh, as you know, in twelve o eight, Pope Innocent the Third wiped out the Cathars in France in the only war of genocide ever waged by the church against fellow Christians. Just, I mean, it's just amazing. More apologies are definitely needed here than than uh, we've been receiving. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we're not getting any apologies on them at all. Uh, however, there's a report uh, uh, on another subject by Simon Thalman about a possible sighting of a mysterious dog man in Michigan. Mm-hmm. That, that includes an investigation by Linda Godfrey, a former journal, journalist from of Weird, Wisconsin. I think she wrote a book on that. She's a wonderful, yeah. wonderful lady, and she's actually very skeptical. Uh, Linda Godfrey is a very straight shooter, and uh, she's a journalist. She's not a, really a believer in the paranormal, so she just set out to examine all these uh, experiences and it was just amazing all the similarities and all the you know the same things that came up over and over again um she believed that maybe it was, could have been a large species of wolf that has adapted over time to walk upright yes yes and and who knows i mean it could be multi-dimensional uh, yeah that's where i think a lot of this is coming from i do too i, I think big yeah. it's a lot of that is yes well. that's right it can manifest in the physical but in it's it's home really i believe is in a different uh, vibration correct yeah and i think that's one of the reasons and i think you have the same situation with the loch ness mm-hmm. animal uh creature it's not calling him a monster he was <laughs> If you ever saw the movie Baby, it'd be hard to hard to refer to Baby oh, as a little yeah. monster. He's a cute little guy, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Now, the most uh, popular sections of your magazine are probably still the reports from readers of my proof of survival and true mystic experiences. How are these letters to the editor chosen for chosen for printing? The letters to the editor. Mm-hmm. Oh, just kind of a cross reference, whatever. I mean, we we print positive ones, negative ones. Well, I guess whenever someone has something that they sincerely believe, if they agree with us or they disagree with us, and uh, mm-hmm. if they have something to say, then we we try to print all sides of the story. They hate us, they love us, mm-hmm. whatever, they're, they're free to say. Faith has always been kind of the reader's magazine. It's really not ours. I consider us as stewards of the magazine. And it's really the reader's magazine, so that they pretty much get free reign on what they want to say, and they, they're totally free to, to criticize us or compliment us and point out mistakes or, or good things. We're, we're happy to print it all. Well, my favorite section has always been the, the uh, I see by the papers assembled by yourself and the fate staff, um, and, and especially your book reviews in regards to uh, Jerry Clark's review of Bud Hopkins' memoir. Wow, mm-hmm. that was really something. 
Uh, Jerry tried so hard to be objective, even though he considers Hopkins a friend, but it sounds like, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed that book tremendously. Um, I got another inside now, uh, insight into, into the, uh, this great man who's it cost him plenty. To, uh, as anyone who works in all of these esoteric fields, it costs you plenty to do so at this time in history. In the future, I don't think that's the way it's going to be, but that's the way it is now. Mm-hmm. Isn't that true? Yeah. Yep. Well, we are about out of time, and uh, what would you like to leave our listeners with tonight? Well, um, please uh, log on and get a free copy of the magazine on fatemag.com and check out our e-subscriptions. Right. Phyllis, thank you for joining us again on 21st Century Radio. It's been 20-some years. Isn't that something? And you were just 18. I knew. That's right. I remember you then. You had nice shoes, too. You still got those nice red slippers? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) See you later. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Kortner. Our engineer is Anita Brockington, and I'm Dr. Bob Hieronymus.